When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football Social Daily. Premier League Updates. If you want daily Premier League stuff for your ears, you're in the right place. This is Football Social Daily. A daily Premier League podcast. I'm Jim Salverson. I've got Stefan over there. I've got Niall over there. Hello, boys. Hello. Hello, Jim. And on the bill for today's show, we're going to be talking England. How should England start their European campaign in Euro 2020? How would Gareth Southgate's ideal 11 be if the game was tomorrow? West Ham are reportedly looking for a replacement for Manuel Pellegrini already, but are they treading the same old path and making the same old mistakes? And Manchester United's debts are soaring because of the club's recent failings. But do fans actually care how much money is in the club's coffers? We'll be speaking to a prominent United fan in a little bit as well. But before we start, do you boys want a review? Oh, no, not another one. Go on, go on, hit us up. A review from off of the internet from someone who listens to review it. Social Daily Podcast. Right, we've got a few, so you can choose. Do you want one from Germany, one from the UK, or one from the US? It's got to be Deutschland. You're going Deutschland? Yeah. Are you in agreement now? I think I saw a, a chap tweet us from Germany the other day, and forgive me, I've forgotten his name, but he said he was enjoying the show. So hopefully, if this is a different person... It, also be, equally enjoy the show. It'd be enjoying your uh, your Movember moustache. It's doing right, <laughs> That's a fact. It? It's not bad. It's not doing it's bit, right. It's a bit ginger. <laughs> I refuse to reference the moustache. Paul Scott's moustache. <laughs> this is from Ricky441996. Well, I get very German. I think that's his surname, 441. Oh, that'd be... I was going to try and do it in German then. I realised I don't know how to speak German. 44496. Oh, very good. Right, so his review is, and it's a nice one. It says, Decent pod. I love to hear it every single episode. Keep it going. Greetings from Hamburg, Germany. And he finishes with glory, glory, Manchester United. Oh, oh Prost. R- r- oh, I love that. Prost to you, yeah. yeah R- Ricky, if you get in touch and let us know if you're a St. Pauli or Hart S. Fall fan, that'd be great. In other words, are you a hipster? And it, yeah. It would directly <laughs> affect how much you like Niles Massage. <laughs> as well. Right, uh, if you want to leave us a review, however you listen to podcasts on iTunes or otherwise, we will find the reviews and you might get a shout out on the podcast as well. So please go and do that today. And let's start with England, who have qualified in style for Euro 2020. 37 goals in eight matches, which is pretty impressive. And there are just four games for the international team now 
between now and the start of the tournament. But if Gareth Southgate was going to pick his 11 to start that first match tomorrow, who would that 11 be? Now, we're going to rattle through these because obviously there's 11 positions. It's quite a lot to talk about. And I think for a few of the positions, we're all going to say exactly the same players. There'll be a couple of talking points along the way. So we'll go around and each of you can pick who you want in each position. All right? Yep. Sounds good. Let's Perfect. start in net then. And you can start, Stefan, because you've got your list in front of yeah, you. Yeah. Can, can I just say I want to play a 4-3-3? Four, 4-3-3? Three, three. Four, three, three. Yeah, that's what I'm going out for. But one um, in goal. In fact, that's what I'm playing as well. So yes, you can. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Okay, well, it's Pickford in goal, isn't it? Well, this is the thing. You, oh! you said there's going to be some stumbling blocks yeah. along the way. Um, you said that there were going to be some positions. Don't, don't give me Nick Pope with. here. Come on. But Nick Pope. No, mate, no, no, oh, no, no, no. In all fairness, he's played one game. Uh, he's got his first cap. He played against Kosovo, didn't he, in mm-hmm. goal. He broke a record. He's the first Burnley goalkeeper for 50 years oh, wow. to play for England in a competitive fixture because when Heaton was there, he played in three friendlies, so it doesn't actually count. And there's been some concern over Pickford's reliability, particularly for Everton in the Premier League. But I think it's fair to say, for England, what we've seen so far, he's been stable. He's been solid, hasn't he? Pickford gives me the jitters in goal. That's the only thing. That's my problem. And I I kind of want to avoid the whole argument that he's got tiny arms and he's quite short, (laughs) because I'm not sure that necessarily impinges him too badly. But I think he looks. He's one of those keepers that makes the most of stuff, if you know what I mean. He'll make a simple save look like a good save because of the yeah, way he Yeah, he's almost like a save. FIFA goalkeeper who makes some sort of like elaborate diving save when he doesn't yeah. quite need to. But what I do like about him is when you've got a couple of centre-packs who, at the best of times, are definitely jittery, mm. I like a goalkeeper who's vocal and who's confident and will actually give him a telling off. But for that very reason, and because England are in general pretty poor in the air at the back particularly when you've got John Stones playing, I think maybe you need a keeper with a bit more physical presence. My pick for goalkeeper, and this won't happen because he's not been given the opportunity yet and he won't be given the opportunity going forward, Dean Henderson. I think he's had an absolutely cracking season for Sheffield United. I think he's the future of England in net. Apart from letting the ball get through his legs against well, Liverpool. Yeah, one mistake. <laughs> we won't forget about that one shall mistake. We? One little jitter. <laughs> Which cost uh, Sheffield United two points. I think for the World Cup 2022... We'll see Dean Henderson. He'll be England's regular number one by then. It won't happen for the Euros. Why not Pope? Uh, what's the difference between Henderson and Pope? I why, think why, a is, goalkeeper. why is Henderson so much more fashionable than Pope? It's an age thing purely, isn't it? Nick Pope's not had a great season this year in the Premier League either. I think that kind of says everything when you're saying Pope hasn't had a great uh, season in the Premier League this year. Yeah, he's still got his England cap. Mm. But I don't so. think I don't think age really matters that much. Not for going you're not for a goalkeeper. goalkeeper I, don't I mean, you look back to the 2010 World Cup where Rob Green was Fabio Capello's first choice goalkeeper well. and against America, <laughs> what yeah. happened? He let the ball USA. through his legs. Classic. And the replacement was David James, who mm. equally as a West Ham fan, Portsmouth fan myself, we would know how unreliable JMO could be. But at we're times. in a bit of a position at the moment where we're looking to England's future. I think the whole setup of England is designed towards which team is going to take us forward into the next tournament and the four years beyond that and the four years beyond that, wherever. And Dean, like Nick Pope, is not that player, is he? He's not. He's not going to be in net for the next four six years for England. I no, think... but is anyone? When was the last time Dean we Henson. had? A, when was the last time we had a goalkeeper that was five years number one? Probably Joe Hart, and before that was David Seaman. Mm. Because uh, because in that period between Seaman and Hart, you had James and there was Robinson and there was a few oh, other people. Paul Robinson. Yeah, back and forth, wasn't it? It was a, you know, <laughs> yeah. a couple of games here, a couple Paul of games Robinson. there. 
you know, so it's the way it's it goes. It's an important element, though. It's important to have stability. It's never been our strongest position, has it? No. I say ah, I'm it's not been, really that bothered about but, it, but it's, <laughs> never, it's never been a strong England position, has it? I mean, one argument you can make for Pickford is that Hugo Lloris captain France to the World Cup, yep. and Hugo Lloris over the last two years has probably not been at the peak of his career, mm-hmm. and he's still managed to do all right I for think, France. I think so going into go. a tournament, it. I think going into a tournament, if you're Southgate, it's probably unwise to put a rookie goalkeeper yeah. in goal oh, for completely. a big tournament. And Pickford it is, it is then, we'll and, go with and Pickford. To be, and to be fair, Pickford has done nothing wrong. It's purely because... Not for England. So why are you bullying him then, Jim? <laughs> right, let's move on. Right, so that was uh, nice and easy, wasn't it? Three different opinions on the goalkeeper. Let's go, <laughs> let's go to right back. I think this one pretty much picks itself, doesn't it? Well, I've gone... Uh, it depends who you have at left back, doesn't it? I've gone Chilwell at left back and Alexander Arnold at right back. Well, I've gone exactly the same as you. Chilwell left back, Alexander Arnold at right back. Although I caveat that slightly in it depends who the opposition is we're playing. I think against the bigger and better teams, like, say, for example, the Dutch or the Germans, wherever it is, you take out Trent Alexander and maybe play Wan-Bissaka for me at right back instead of him. I'd agree with that. Cool. I'd agree with that. Dead easy. This is where it gets difficult, Uh, uh, centre-backs. But but Trippier, to be fair, is playing for Atletico Madrid. Let's not rule him out right now because Mm. let's say Atletico do do really, really well in La Liga. Uh, for the rest of the season, maybe in the Champions League as well. There's no reason why Trippier might not yeah, be on Gareth Southgate's like, like radar Trippier. again. Um, but yeah, I, I like Trippier as well. But I mean, Chilwell, three assists against Montenegro within the first 20 odd minutes or whatever it was. And like you say, Wambasaka is a good defensive exactly. option to have instead. Yeah, Trent Alexander looks great going forward against the weaker teams, but whether he could, I mean, who's doubting him against the bigger teams? He's done all right for Liverpool so far this season, hasn't he, and last season. But Wan-Bissaka gives you a bit more stability. Yeah, and you could say about Trent Alexander-Arnold, which uh, a friend of mine made a point to me the other day, which I didn't really think of, was although Raheem Sterling had him on toast in the Man City against Liverpool game just before the international break, Raheem Sterling's arguably the most difficult wide player that Trent Alexander-Arnold's going to face in the Premier League, even the Champions League this season. So if he managed to deal with that all right, and although there was a bit of handbags between... Sterling and Trent at one point and of course the whole Gomez thing which we won't go into he did manage to to keep him quiet yeah. enough that he didn't score any goals or have as much of an impact on the games he would okay. have liked so that's, that's decided Chilwell and Trent Alexander is kind of where we're going this three million quid Gareth Southgate England job's easy isn't it piece of proverbial <laughs> right centre backs as you say slightly more tricky this I is where it gets can, tough I've we got can one. all agree that Harry Maguire's yeah, first choice centre back right yeah I just don't like any other centre back um I've gone with Stones because I think it's probably the safest option. Mm-hmm. But now that I've just said that out loud, I regret it already. Niall? Oh, Stones is a good player, but we've seen him make a mistake. We saw him make a mistake in the Nations League, but mm-hmm. you can't hold players to their mistakes. If they make one mistake, fair enough, which is, you know, kind of why the, the Dean Henderson thing earlier I was just kind of kidding around with. But, you know, the thing is with Stones is, is he just going to make one mistake? You get the feeling that there is more in the locker, mm. like you do with Pickford as well. It's just one of those where you can't pick someone on if they're going to make a mistake you, unless they are a liability. I don't think Stones is a liability, but I certainly think in the style that Gareth Southgate wants to play yeah. and in the style that Stones it, likes to play, carrying the ball out from the back, you are prone to making more mistakes that, than if you played the conventional it. style. If you are a ball-playing centre-back, you are susceptible to a mistake and John Stones is young enough to still have those mistakes in him I think it speaks volumes that Pep's kept him out of a team on occasions where Man City are desperate for centre-backs mm. that doesn't fill me with confidence 
if I'm John Stones or if I'm Gareth Southgate. But you're still picking him as your centre back. Yeah, because almost like there's a lack of other centre backs. I don't really know who to go for. For me, the big weakness of John Stones is dealing with balls in the air. I think he's terrible at crosses into the box, and I don't think that suits England on an international stage. I'm going to go Gomez as my other centre back, and we haven't seen much of him for Liverpool, and he doesn't haven't seen a great deal of him. For England, but I think that big, imposing, strong, good in the air centre back would kind of suit the way Southgate wants to play. Tyrone Mings is a good, strong in the air centre back. Yeah, why not him? I, and I think he did all right when he played for England a few months back. I think he's a good option. I think they'd both be better options than John Stones at the moment. Yeah, fair. Go for it. Okay, there we go. Gomez, Stones, you're out. You're dropped. Right, midfield three. Who are we going for in the middle? Ooh. This is the hardest bit of the team. Yeah. Now, I think now, it gets fun. now it gets fun. Hardest bit of the team. At the moment, the favoured three, isn't it? It's Winks. Well, definitely Winks, Henderson and Rice. They're the three that Gareth Southgate's favouring at the moment. Yeah. The encouraging signs are that Declan Rice, although he's playing in a West Ham team, which are not very good right now, yeah. he's only 20 and he will get better. Mm-hmm. Whether he'll be the finished article by the Euros in 2020, I don't know. But like you say, for Dean Henderson, for the World Cup in Qatar in 2022... Declan Rice is definitely one of those players where you're thinking he will be in that team for the World Cup, barring a horrible injury or the form going completely out of the window. Roy Keane was very critical of Declan Rice before the Kosovo game. Declan that, Rice was that, supposed that's to an play Irish for the vendetta, Ireland, that is, Jim. That's the problem. That's, <laughs> that's the now problem. else. Um, <laughs> so th- that's the thing. Um, I just think that I think Harry Winks is a good player. I just think, in terms of sort of raking passes from the middle of the park, the only one who can really pass their way through the lines is Henderson Mm. and even he's not probably elite level at doing that he's very good at sort of dictating a tempo of a game we really missed Henderson it's Kosovo as well I think I think so as well and I think what he's been playing for Liverpool lately where he's been able to push up a little bit more um, and Jurgen Klopp gives him that little bit more freedom whereas Mm. again whereas for Gareth Southgate he's more of that screen isn't he trying to protect the back four along with the along with the other two in there I just think if you look at what we've got at the moment we've got um Rice and Winks playing in two teams that are lower mid-table at this moment in time, West Ham and Spurs. I'm not saying that that should determine whether a player is good enough for England or not, but you'd think that some of these bigger clubs, Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea, Arsenal, should have young English players in their academy who are coming through as sort of defensive midfield players. We've not really seen that over the last five years. Has anyone come through that's English mm. that you can think of that is a decent holding midfield player? I can't. So I think that maybe may, needs to be an area which football clubs look to try and strengthen in their academies. I think Declan Rice is a real talent. I mean, I think he's going for a sticky patch of form at the moment with West Ham, but I also think he's 20 and he will overcome that. And he's, he's now his second season, third season in the Premier League, not as a full season, but third season in the Premier League. And he's only going to learn from that experience. Mm. And I think he's had a few dodgy games maybe only dodgy by his high standards in an England shirt so far but I think Gareth Southgate will stick with him I think you're right Henderson will play alongside him my third position would go to Oxlade Chamberlain at the moment the Ox who I think is really talented and you say we need a little spark of creativity in midfield I think he provides that little spark of creativity will he stay fit though well he's just come back from a serious injury yeah so he got injured before the 2018 World Cup Mm mm-hmm got injured before 
2014 World Cup. You'd take him though, wouldn't you? You'd definitely take him in the squad. He got injured before Euro 2016. (laughs) Niall wouldn't take him, but you've got to remember Niall is a Portsmouth fan. Remember, who doesn't want anything to do with any Southampton wingers? The The Ox was born in the heart of South Sea. The Ox was born in Portsmouth. Was he? His dad played for Portsmouth, Mark Chamberlain. Uh, to be fair, he's he also play for them lots. We've got so 24 like hours before much. the first game and everyone's fit at the moment. So you're relying on Oxlade-Chamberlain getting injured in the first next 24 hours. <laughs> Oxlade-Chamberlain would trip over an invisible shoelace <laughs> and injure himself before the tournament. It's just bad luck. Yeah. Listen, I, I watched an interview with him the other day and even though, like I say, he, he played for a team that I don't like very much at all, it's hard not to, to admire how he's come back mm. through that adversity and he's come back with real venom and vigour you know to come back and score the amount of goals he scored in what I don't know 14 games or something this season he's played now just to come back and he keeps scoring goals so yeah fair play to him um, whether it, he'll start or not I, I don't know really it's a hard one too late for Madison and Grealish to make a case for themselves to be included I've put Madison in mind to be honest I think if, especially if you're going to be with Rashford and uh, Sterling up top potentially with Harry Kane and a bit of a free so in your I would four, three, love three. to see Madison just sitting behind them I'd be brilliant. Traditional two, number 10 kind of role. Yeah, exactly. I and mean, then I'd probably have somebody like Henderson and Winks sitting in behind. So who, what, so so I'm confused here. If you're playing 4-3-3 and you're having Henderson, Winks, four, two, one, and two, then one, Madison. I'm going to take a 4-2-1-2. You, <laughs> two, one, two. One, you yeah. play very narrow FIFA style. And, and Harry yeah. Kane at the point, I yeah. guess, will come And this is why I've never been very good at chat manager, now, <laughs> if I'm being honest with you. <laughs> right, let's go back to the top, to front three, which I think's a pretty easy choice for most of them. We're all going Sterling. Yep. Of course. Harry Kane up top. Um, 100%. Yep. As much as I like 100%. Tammy Abraham. 100%. Anyone who says Harry that Harry Kane isn't world class and doesn't deserve to start, get in the bin. What about on the other side? Are we going Sancho? Are we going Rashford? I think Sancho. they're the two choices. For me, Rashi. it's Sancho. Rashi. Why Rashford? Why are you making the case for Rashford? Because um, he just scores all sorts of goals and he's lightning quick. And obviously Sancho is as well, but I just prefer Rashford. Look at them free kicks he did, man. He'll be brilliant. Get him in there. I think it's a it's a really tough one at the moment. Sancho just seems to be setting the Bundesliga alight at the moment, as he did last season. It's very has, difficult. Has he not to had a drop of form, though, Sancho? Is he not? Well, Dortmund are sixth in the Bundesliga so, right now, so they are, I think, six points behind Bayern Munich at this moment in time, and they are seven points behind Borussia Mönchengladbach, who are actually are top of the Bundesliga, mm. which is a surprise to everyone. I just think Sancho has got a fear factor that Rashford doesn't have. And I just think it's the fear of the unknown. I think we've seen Rashford for a few years now. We've seen him be really good when he came in, dipped in form under Mourinho, Mm. and now again under Solskjaer, it's starting to sort of sort of soar again and come back he to, looked to good form in the last again. two England games he's the running really, was really, really direct confident. and he looked, he was taking on defenders he, he but bullied Montenegro but, he, but it's Montenegro I know, I know but <laughs> he's but, looked really really confident but what I guess if you want to take a leaf out of the Bayern Munich book the German way Lewandowski up top for Bayern Robben and Ribéry on either side two mm. quick wingers even in their 30s which they both obviously now left the club but quick wingers Absolute lethal dead-eye striker in the middle. I'm thinking Sterling, Sancho, Kane. <laughs> that is a frightening front three. I'm not saying Rashford isn't quick because he is. And do you know what? I don't he's, know he's why. I just fancy Sancho. I, for this. I get what you mean about the, the the unknown with Sancho, but I can't think of anything that Sancho's got that Rashford hasn't. I do quite like the idea of Sancho maybe coming off the bench, and. Maybe oh. 70 minutes in when you've got a few tired legs in the opposition just running at people and terrifying them with his pace. That's quite an exciting little option. Yeah. I mean, it kind of doesn't really matter, though, if we're, if we're still got these problems at the back. 
You know what I mean? Oh, like, like, I'm just going to be honest, guys. You know, come on. Like every 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 single newspaper saying, "Well, England are definitely in the semi-final. We've got got a semi-final at Wembley, a final at Wembley." Mm. I reckon just chill out for a little bit first. I don't know. I'm getting a bulldog tattoo and rewriting the words of three lines <laughs> as we speak. I'm getting well carried away with this already, and we're already, what we're six months away from the kickoff of Euro 2020. Right, that's the starting 11. We got it sorted. Gareth Southgate, if you're listening, no work to do there. You can crack on with winning those last four games before the Euros. We're going to come back in a minute on Football Social Daily. We're going to talk about Manchester United and their ever-increasing debts. And we're going to talk about the managerial situation at West Ham at the moment. Are they lining up a replacement for Manuel Pellegrini? We'll do that next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Premier League updates. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Now, Manchester United's current accounts might not seem like the most exciting talking point in the world, but it could be another stick with which anti-glazerists can beat the club owners. Failed to reach the Champions League, and that appears to have had a bit of an impact in the revenue from the club. £67 million off the top line at Manchester United. Debts have risen to a staggering £137 million, according to the most recent club accounts. But the question is, do fans care? On one hand, it could be seen as a way to beat the Glazers with a stick, as I said and criticise their reign. But on the other hand, it's a direct result of squad investment in the likes of Daniel James and Harry Maguire and Wan-Bissaka, which is what the fans wanted. So we're going to get a fan's eye view on this one. Joining me, Niall and Stefan on Football Social Daily, we've got Jay, regular podcast guest and member of the Full-Time Devils fan channel. Hello, Jay. Hi, are you OK? Yeah, all right. Thank you. So these results came out yesterday about Manchester United's increased debt and drop in revenue. The big question for United fans is, do you care? Yeah, you have to care. I mean, I'm just picking up on a couple of points you made there. You said, like, well, you look at player investment can be looked at as a reason that we've gone into a bit more debt. Well, we've not really invested that much over the summer. You talk about Harry Maguire, Daniel James, uh, and Amanda Saka. We've also sold Romelu Lukaku. Chris Smalling and um, Alexis Sanchez have gone out as well. They've got them off the wages bill. So if you look at our net spend, it was I think it came to about 40 million quid, which for a club the size of Manchester United isn't really that much, especially when you compare it to some of our rivals. And even the likes of Aston Villa are spending more net, net spend than, than we are at the minute. And then you look at the debt, the increase, I think it increased by 137 million on what it was the previous year. But the problem we've got with the debt is it's 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 not gone down since the Glazers took over. I've, I read some, I've read varying reports and figures, but my understanding was it was around 558 million. That's what the debt went to when they took over because they had all these payments in kind and these loans, these mm. terrible loans that they took on the club and the club's assets to buy the club. And since that, that was 14 years ago. Now, what I, my understanding, or some people are calling it a bit more, is we're around the 380 million pound mark. So we're still in hundreds of millions of pounds of debt even after 14 years of being one of the richest clubs in the world. And all that's happening is any money that's coming in is being used to furnish the debt and any extra money is going into the Glazers' pockets. Let's not forget, all the members of the Glazer family took in... 50, this, was, this was from the quarterly conference call yesterday. They all took their £15 million each out of the club as a dividend. So they're taking their money out constantly. The debt's continuing. It's not, going, it's not really going down. And, and we're struggling on the pitch. We're seeing that effect because... We expected or we hoped that there'd be, be a big investment this summer. And it hasn't happened. A £40 million net, net spend isn't an investment for a club the size of Manchester United. And the way things are going, 
I don't see it getting any better. What worries me is the less money we make, that doesn't mean they're going to stop taking money out. The Glazers are still going to take the money out. It's the fans that are going to end up suffering or the, play, or the, the football club itself and the team that's going to end up suffering because we're not going to have the investment on the pitch that we need to start competing with the likes of Manchester City and Liverpool, which is where we should be. Jay, it's Niall here, mate. Hope you're good. Bye, mate. You OK? Yeah, all well, mate. Yeah, just a, just a quick one, and forgive me for playing devil's advocate here, but a lot of football clubs, particularly in the Premier League, will be in debt. I mean, a football club being in debt is not a new thing. What is it that, that concerns you the most? Is it the amount of debt that Manchester United have? You know, what, what's the solution here in your eyes? Is it just to, to reduce that deficit? What's the kind of the fans' perspective on that? Well, two, two things there. I get what you're saying. Most clubs are in debt. Yeah, that's a fair comment. But you have to remember, and this will sound arrogant, but I'll say it anyway, no, no, no other club in the, in the Man United fans deal. being arrogant, Jay. It's <laughs> not <laughs> no, usual, we, is it? Well, we've not had much to be arrogant about <laughs> recently. I'll be honest with you, those days are long gone. <laughs> but no, no club in the Premier League makes anywhere near the amount of money that Manchester United do, even some of the most successful ones like... Liverpool getting close, to be fair. Mm. But United make a lot more money than most other clubs. United didn't have any debt until the Glazers took over. So this was new. The Glazers took over and ploughed us into more debt than anyone. We went from being in the, in the black to being almost £600 million in debt overnight, which was, like, shocking from a fan's point of view. You're sitting there and you see your club. It's sort of stable. It's successful. Everything's hunky-dory. And then all of a sudden, you've got this massive debt that you're saddled with. And there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Four years later, we're still in that almost the same amount of debt. So that's what really, um, what really worries me about that is the fact that, yes, I get what you're saying. You're saying that, you know, all clubs do have debt. It's the amount we've got. And I'll answer to your second part of your question, you know, how do we, you know, what's the answer to this? Now, one suggestion or one story that's been doing around is obviously a Saudi takeover. The Saudi royal family have been photographed. I think with Richard Arnold, it was. He's one of the sort of managing directors. I forget the title, but he's one of the, the United hierarchy. There's rumours that he, the Saudis may be launching a takeover bid. I don't know if that's going to happen. And with that comes its own question marks, of course, because you know there's, there's, there's stories there about the sort of the, the human rights aspects of it and, and, and all the other things that go with, with that sort of uh, with that regime. So then you're asking yourself, well, is that is that the answer? Is that the answer that I want as a fan? Do I want to be going to a club that could be used for sports washing? Um, I think is the correct term. Not really. So you're sort of caught, really, because you don't want the Glazers, but then again, I don't want my club being used to sort of distract from what is a pretty abhorrent regime. So it's difficult as a fan. Ideally, I'd love to see some sort of model like they have in Germany where, you know, we almost had it with the Red Knights. I was speaking to someone from SC United, one of the founders of SC United, who told me that the Red Knights or the shareholders in only a few years before weren't that far away from, from launching a takeover and from being successful, where loaded rich United fans got together and tried to buy back the club. The problem we've got is, since the Glazers bought the club, they bought the club for £720 million, I think, of, of which £558 million of that was debt. Now, the club now is worth almost £4 billion. So you're only going to have a very small amount of people on the planet who would be able to pay that and almost and willing to pay that. I mean, you know, what well, I think, is it Paul Radcliffe? I forget his surname, his first name, sorry, but I know, is it John Radcliffe? I forget his first name, but he's one of the richest men in Britain. He's a United fan. He's worth about Thirty billion or something, but is he going to pay four billion for Manchester United? Probably not. So you sort of stuck really. I would love to see a sort of model like we have in Germany, where it was sort of some sort of fan ownership. Fans could get together and, and buy shares and, and take over the club. But it's, it's highly unlikely that's going to happen. And I think if we're being brutally honest, we're probably going to be stuck with the Glazers for quite some time until it gets to the point where it's more profitable for them 
to sell the club. And at the moment, it isn't because, like I said earlier, they're continuously taking their payments out every quarter, regardless of what is going on in terms of revenue and dividends and all the rest of it. They will continue to take their £15 million each, I think spread across the six Glazer family members, and they'll continue to do that for this foreseeable future. So at the moment, there's no point in them in worrying about sell, selling, and there's also no point in investing heavily in the team because they're still making the money they need to make. Jay, you sound quite upset, and you said something quite interesting there about Britain's richest guy. Are you more upset and concerned about the fact that the finances aren't looking great at Man United? Or are you more concerned and upset about the fact it's the Glazers and they maybe don't get Man United and the history and the tradition of Man United? I think those two points are sort of tied together, to be honest with you. I don't don't have a problem with businessmen owning Manchester United and taking a profit. I'm not deluded enough to think that someone's going to come in and go, Here's, you know, let's buy Manchester United and just not make any profit. Let's just do it as a, as a, because we love United. That is never going to happen. You're not going to get a Jack Walker at Blackburn situation where someone just ploughs in loads of money because they love the club and they just want to see us win trophies. I can live with it, Manchester United being a business because it is a business. I think most clubs are now, and I've not got an issue with that. Ideally, what you want is a sort of scenario like what you've got, say, at Liverpool. It pains me to say it. Someone like John Henry who realises. Yes, you can invest the money as a business and make profit, sorry, everyone as a business, but you can also have success on the pitch, and that sometimes, well, that usually helps your business. The thing with the Glazers is they've not, they don't approach it that way. They just approach it, from my, in my opinion, as what they can get out of it. The most they can get out of it personally in terms of taking as much money out of it as possible and spending the sort of the bare minimum required to keep Manchester United in and around where they need to be. Jay, if you were to go into the pub tonight and you saw Malcolm Glazer at the bar, what would you say to him? I'd say, I thought you died four years ago, Malcolm, so this is a bit of a, <laughs> an amazing thing. I must, uh, I must be having an acid flashback. <laughs> Jay, top man, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate that. You can catch Jay on Full Time Devils on their YouTube channel. For all Manchester United fans, you can also catch him as a regular on our weekend podcasts, our Saturday preview and our Sunday review as well. Nice one, Jay. Right, let's move on. Let's talk about West Ham United and their managerial crisis which is a phrase that they like to use in football, isn't it? Nice crisis here and there. So the rumours are at the moment that after six games without a win, the pressure is growing on Manuel Pellegrini. Even though two months ago... Seven games without a win. Seven games, is it now? Six Premier League games. It'll be eight games by next week. Uh, so the pressure is rising. Even though two months ago, West Ham were talking about European qualification and top four as a realistic target, that seems to no longer be the case. The rumours doing the rounds is that Rafa Benitez... Is being lined oh, up as a replacement. How good would that be? Well, this is my question. That'd would, be amazing. Would that be the right solution for West Ham United? Would that be just the club doing the same old, same old of treading the same path with established managers who have had success elsewhere? First of all, on on Manuel Pellegrini, he's um, he's suffering from what I like to call baggy eye syndrome. Now, <laughs> the, the, this is managers who have spent a few months in the doldrums and are struggling to get results and their eyes have just puffed up. Mm. Now, that is Pellegrini at the minute, so that's not a good sign. Um, (laughs) If I was a West Ham fan, I would quite like to see him out and see Rafa Benitez, and that'd be amazing. Looking at what Benitez managed to achieve with Newcastle on a tight, tight budget, Mm. um, imagine if he had kind of the, the funds which West Ham have been giving their managers over the last few seasons. He'd do some really good stuff there. Let's not kid ourselves here. Manuel Pellegrini is 66 years old. Before this, he was managing in China. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If he gets sacked by West Ham, how long do you think he'll care for? 
<laughs> are, you, are you suggesting he has, hasn't got? He, he doesn't want to do well in the job? Not at all. I'm suggesting it was an, a lazy appointment by West Ham. They thought, oh, this guy's won the Premier League in the last five years. Let's yeah. get him in. But I think this is where Let's West Ham what, constantly what fall reason? down with their appointments. They, what they, other they logical appoint. reason have West Ham come up with to employ Manuel Pellegrini? He had a good record before he went to City. Yeah, fine, and he great. did reasonably yeah. at City. Well, but yeah, you're he won right. the league with City. Brilliant. But after that, he went to Hubei China Fortune. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk this seriously through. He's the oldest manager in the Premier League. In a job league. interview, someone would question that gap in your CV, wouldn't they? So what did you do between leaving the Bank of England and joining whatever. You seem to work in McDonald's. Why was that? It's like a bit of a blip. Niall's right, though. He doesn't need to work, I don't think. And, you know, cut him and he doesn't bleed West Ham, does he? No, it's what I'm saying is he's 66. He's the second oldest player manager in the Premier League behind Roy Hodgson. Mm. And the point I'm making is, is his future doesn't lie with West Ham United. He's not going to manage West Ham for the next X years. Probably another two years tops if he does a good job. Then he's going to start thinking about but retiring. That's, that's not necessarily a good co- reason to get rid of him now. Well, of course it is. It's, it's a good reason to not employ him in the first place. You've got yeah, a new stadium. True. You've got this blueprint of which what you want West Ham to be. This European club. This London club which can compete with the other London clubs in the vicinity. Mm. Tottenham, Arsenal, Chelsea. And West Ham have the infrastructure to do that. They have the plan, the vision to do that. They've got the stadium. They've got the fan base. They've got some of the players and they're just starting to put that into practice. Why have you got an ancient manager who's not going to progress your club forward? There was no logic behind employing Manuel Pellegrini at West Ham. It was just, he's won the Premier League in the last five years. Let's get him in. He'll do a job for West Ham. But but would you drop him now and bring Benitez in? That's the question. Yes, because Rafa has done it with a club of similar stature. I'd say Newcastle and West Ham at this moment in time are on level footing. Newcastle are a massive football club. But in terms of what they've achieved in the last... Well, they've not won a trophy, major trophy since 1955, which is shocking for for, Oof, for Newcastle. Yeah, my United. mum was born. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not great, and I don't want to disrespect Newcastle because I think they're a brilliant football club and a lot of respect for them. But in terms of what Rafa did there, and you saw with the resources he had, he wasn't able to go to the next level with Newcastle, which is ultimately why he left. Mm. With West Ham, you feel that the owners at West Ham are going to back Rafa. But I just think, for whatever reason, Rafa Benitez seems a better fit for West Ham in terms of the style of West Ham, the culture of the club, and having been at a similar-sized club with a similar sort of ambition as Newcastle in terms of the supporters, definitely, I think that that would be a better fit. I'm, I'm not saying sack Pellegrini. I, I, I think give him more time. I think he's got six or so games it's being reported to save his I job. I think you can make very but, similar arguments with the appointment of Benitez that you've just made about Pellegrini, though. The idea that is he going to be there for the next five, six years? I think West Ham at this moment in time, they've done this before. They've appointed big name managers for the last decade. They haven't really. They've appointed David Moyes, Sam Allardyce, people like this. For West Ham, that has been a big name manager. Manager who have come out of previously big jobs, Sam Allardyce. Avram Grant, I'd even put in that category. No, he's not. He came out of the Chelsea job, though. He came out of the Portsmouth job. He he got us to the FA Cup final. We lost to Chelsea, got relegated, and then he went to West Ham and took you down. But what I think West Ham need is a bit of a fresh approach, like a young manager. Maybe, I mean, I don't know. Whether Steven, Ooh, Eddie Howe, somebody like that. I mean, Eddie Howe would never go to West Ham. He'd be a he'd be a great choice to manage that football club, but he's never going to leave Bournemouth for West Ham. And will West Ham fans give Eddie Howe the patience that he might need? Well, that's, that's it. the question. Benitez is, I say, I, think the I West say, Pellegrini sixty six. I think the board might not, and I think that's where the Jim, big issue is. Well, Benitez is knocking on the door of sixty. So, by my logic, of you need someone to sort of 
plan for the future, then again, Benitez may not fit that category no. perfectly. But I think at this moment in time, he's uh. a better fit than Pellegrini. But I do agree with you. I think they need someone a bit more progressive, a bit younger to come in and be given a bit of patience by the West Ham fans. what Chris Wilder's done at Sheffield United or what um, the Brighton manager whose Potter. name Graham Potter's done at Brighton. Someone who's got a bit of a fresh... Like Frank Lampard's done at Chelsea. I know, but, but Rafa Benitez... When you have interviews with managers and they talk about the the best other managers out there, Rafa Benitez always pops up mm-hmm. in this like one of the best dozen managers on on in the world in terms of football. Um, ultimately, the the ambition for West Ham has to be knocking on the door of the Champions League, right? It's not getting relegated at the moment. <laughs> European but, football, I think Europa League yeah, consistently so, has to be the okay. Aim for West that Ham. was the promise when we moved to the London Stadium. But, was within five years we'd be playing. Okay, so 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 you're in this incredible stadium. What sixty odd thousand? Mm. You've got all this investment. Um, you've planned correctly. Ultimately, you've got to be looking up towards: can we play? Okay, Europa League consistently, but can we maybe sneak into the Champions League as well? Mm. Rafa Benitez will do that for you. I think he is one of the greatest. <laughs> I think he's one of the best managers available on the market. Well, he's not even available at the moment. He's over in China, isn't he managing? But I think he is one. Oh, of has the, he got a job? Yeah, he's currently. Oh, sorry, he's Rafa, stay out employed. there. Yeah, so. He is one of the best managers. Whether his style would fit what West Ham fans want and whether, as you say, Niall, it's that kind of putting something in place, a project yeah. in I, place, it which feels, feels like, like the it right It feels move. like you've got all the other components there at West yeah. Ham. The stadium, the fan base, the ambition, that the supporters know what they want. There's the promise there that's come from the owners saying we will be playing European football in five years. But there's the one crucial piece of the puzzle they haven't got right, and that is the manager. And although some of the recruitment's been questionable, I think there, there have been flashes of good signings at West Ham. Yeah. There are some good players there. It's just not gelling. Whether that's Pellegrini's fault, I don't know. I'm not behind the scenes at West Ham. And I didn't mean to go too hard on West Ham there, going in sounding like I'm absolutely tearing the club to pieces. It's not. I'm just frustrated as... I'm not a West Ham fan, but I can I can tell the frustration there because it's such a disappointing situation to find themselves in. Arsenal fans must feel very similar. When they moved to the Emirates, they were promised to be competing for Champions mm. Leagues. Now they can't even get in the top six. So and what's the situation going to be like for West Ham if they don't get this next so appointment? Very quickly right? before we end because we're going on a bit today. January, you have to make the ch- if you're going to make a change, you've got to make it before January, right? Because I don't think, particularly if it's Benitez, because, for example, the West Ham midfield at the moment doesn't have the discipline to play under Benitez. It wouldn't work. So he's going to need to bring in certain players. Will West Ham be replacing their manager before January? So you said six games, Niall. That's what, that's about six games would be the end of December. It would have to be a quick decision before the window opened. But are they going to make that change? Are they going to pull the trigger? If you keep losing, yeah. If West Ham keep losing, of course. You can't be in the relegation zone, although me and Stefan did have a quick look at the table during the break, and you are three points off seventh. Yeah. Manchester <laughs> United in seventh, uh, and you're currently in 16th, which just goes to show how much of a grinder that mid-table shake-up is at the it's moment. It's a bit of a false table at the moment, yeah. isn't it? One win can propel you up it rapidly. I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's going to be sacked by the 15th of December. Wow, there we go. Dead dates. We'll come back. We'll re- I'm going to put that in my diary and we'll revisit it in about four weeks' time. Don't play the clip Stephen's back. Right. Yeah, the when, cli- when, when they're sitting in seventh or sixth in the league, don't play that clip back. Right? <laughs> it's getting clipped. Right, boys, thank you very much for today's Football Social Daily. Cheers, uh, we'll be back tomorrow with another show. Make sure you click subscribe so you get that as soon as it's ready. And however you listen to podcasts, it will come straight to you. See you next time. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.